On Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, the FOMC is meeting to debate what we think will be another rate hike. Will it be the last rate hike? Well, a lot of it depends upon consumer price behavior as well as consumer price data. And conveniently enough or inconveniently enough, we get the the U.S. CPI figures released on Tuesday, the first day of the two-day gathering for policymakers to talk about whether or not they're going to hike rates. And in anticipation of U.S. consumer price data, next week's FOMC meeting, we also got maybe a preview of what's going on consumer price-wise, macroeconomy-wise, recession-wise, in a bunch of inflation-related numbers, not just in the United States, but around the rest of the world. Joining me, as always, Mr. Stephen Van Meter. Steve, why don't we talk about, first, the U.S. PPI, producer prices, because there were some corners of the internet, the Twitter, whatever you want to call it, that suggested there the modest reacceleration in producer prices, as well as the revision higher for the previous month in October, maybe that sets a bad tone for the U.S. CPI, which again is coming up in a couple of days. What do you think, Steve? Is that is that the case? Is there any danger here at all? Yeah, I mean that's a great question, Jeff. Because I love the whole PPI CPI story because. If you're new to macro, it makes really sense. Oh, if the PPI is not going down much, well, then the CPI can't because one is producer, right? The production of the goods. The other is the consumer, the spending of, you know, the purchase of the goods. So obviously these two must move lock, stock and barrel. And then you go and run a chart of them, your jaw drops, you're like, wait a minute, like, I don't get it. And the simple answer is that people don't realize is the data used to compile the PPI is not the same data used for the CPI. They're not using, you know, apples to apples. So you get this excitement of, oh my God, PPI, look at it. And the reality is, Jeff, as we talked before the show, most of this PPI was loaded up with food inflation. Yeah, not only that too, right? I mean, we're talking about two different things. And there is many, as you said, the correlation between the PPI and CPI is weak at best. And one reason why is that input costs to businesses, they don't always get to pass those along to consumers. In fact, there are a lot of times when businesses have to absorb input costs, which actually makes the situation worse. Because if you're a business and your major input costs are going up, but you see that consumer spending is weak, the economy is not looking so great, last thing you're going to be able to do is pass those costs along to your consumer. Next thing you know, your margins are being compressed, and this actually contributes to what would actually be the end of consumer price pressures, because as businesses are unable to cut their costs in one part of the uh, one part of their cost structure, which is input materials, those kinds of things that are included in the producer price index, they're going to have to do something else in their other parts of their their business, which is usually the labor market. So th- let's just the data from the PPI, according to the BLS, which is I think Steve, which is. You know, what most people get confused of, it's the same government agency that does the CPI. So therefore, it's the PPI must be the same thing. But they said the producer price index up, up 0.3% month over month, which was 7.4% higher than the previous year, which that annual rate is actually the lowest since May 2021. Consumer, or the, or excuse me, the core PPI was up uh, 0.38% month over month, which I think is what got most people talking because that was an acceleration over uh, the previous months, which was revised higher from, I think, point, uh, for, used to be a, it was initially reported as a negative. Now it's 0.03%. But even there, year over year, 6.26%, which is the lowest since June 2021. 
So even though we've got some month-to-month noisy fluctuations or whatever, the annual numbers are still coming down. Right. And, and it makes a lot of sense. And, and I think if we look at a chart of the month-to-month data, I think a lot of people need to, need to realize if we just hold a 0.3% month over month, we're going to hit 4% annualized inflation on producer side. Again, not that the Fed overly cares too much about that, and it doesn't directly connect to the CBI. What it's telling us already is the odds that we're going to see accelerating inflation, or at least out of the particular out of the factory sector, is highly unlikely. And that's why the trend now may not be dropping as fast as people are hoping, you know, hey, we want to see it go from, you know, eight to three. I mean, that's not going to happen. You know, these year over year cops just don't work that way. But as you mentioned, Jeff, the bigger risk now is what if the CPI does drop a little more than expected? What is that telling us as we go forward into the next couple of months, particularly then when we get fourth quarter earnings? It tells us that these companies are taking it on the margin and we'll find that out eventually. So there's a lot of good information here. But the one thing we shouldn't get worked up over is we're seeing an acceleration. We're seeing clearly in the data in the months to come. Producer prices are decelerating, and it doesn't mean the CPI will decelerate on Wednesday, but the odds are pretty favorable. Yeah, and I think, you know, let's talk about the wider reaction to the PPI. In in the marketplace, especially the place where you would expect there would be a reaction, the tips market, uh, tips part of the treasury market, if there was any validity to the acceleration of the PPI is anything beyond monthly noise, statistical variation, whatever the case may be, You would have thought that if anybody was nervous about a legitimate acceleration in consumer prices, there would have been a reaction in tips when there wasn't. As the PPI data came out on Friday, the tips break-evens, the five-year break-even, the 10-year break-even were actually lower on the day. And they have been down over the previous week from a modest re-acceleration earlier in the month with oil prices. And that's another one too, the oil market. We can talk a little bit about that in a little bit, but Overall, the market reaction outside, you know, the yields, yields rose at the long end of the yield curve. Was that about the PPI or was that just about, you know, the yields have been fall, had fallen so far so quickly? Maybe there was just nothing more than the usual market fluctuation there. But in inflation, in the tips market in particular, completely non-reaction to the PPI. So there what didn't seem to be much to suggest to the market that there's any real any leg, any legitimacy to the idea that consumer prices or producer prices or any prices are in danger of going quicker. Yeah, and Jeff, I'm glad you mentioned oil because I think it was last week we talked about how oil was flipping into contango, and, and we mentioned that hey, this can happen, but look if it starts to go down and hold in contango, then we start to see some structural problems. But one thing that I like to look at is a chart between West Texas Intermediate on a year-over-year rate of change and PPI. And what it tells me, there's a very, very strong relationship. And it makes a lot of sense because crude oil is a big input factor. I mean, things get shipped, things are produced with oil. I mean, it's a huge component. So if you see oil, which is now running pretty close to um, zero year-over-year, I mean, we're not there yet, but we're headed that way. And as we move into 2023, the year-over-year comps are going negative. The market can look at that alone, not the Fed or not any PhD economist. I want to confuse the two. Uh, the market can look at that and say, look, the chances of this PPI thing going up is pretty low. Now, if oil is seen at 200 a barrel, I have a different story for you. But at 70-something, yeah, there's no chance this PPI is going up. Yeah, and we said that you know it wouldn't be abnormal if the 
WTI curve, which dipped into contango a little bit and then maybe fluctuated a little bit out of in contango, a little bit backwardation and back and forth. But that's not what happened. The curve went into contango and then it got into some pretty sharp contango. And what's really uh, what's really grabbing my attention is the fact that it has gone deep into contango that has spread out to the June contract. So the first half year of the WTI curve contracts are now in contango, which is the opposite way of what you would expect. Because again, the really important part here is you would expect contango is the last thing that the market would price, given all of the supply pressures that haven't gone away. In fact, they've they've even been amplified over the week and a half since that we first saw contango stick around. So we've got the WTI curve pricing that the market wants to store oil, not not get some out of storage because it, there's a lack of supply. And yesterday we had, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday we had the Keystone pipeline leak, which is another supply pressure that the market reacted to initially. But after an hour, maybe two hours, even that was gone. And the curve was right back into contango again. So the oil market is sending us some pretty powerful signals that it doesn't care one bit what happens on the supply side. And that probably more than the PPI or anything else is something that, as you said, if you weren't a PhD economist at the Federal Reserve, should really grab your attention because that is a powerful signal. Yeah. So this is interesting. You know, if we look at data and people always say, hey, guys, what are leading indicators and why crude oil? Again, we don't know what that market is doing, why this is happening. We can just see that it is happening. And it's telling us something pretty serious. And it doesn't make a lot of sense, Jeff, because all we've heard for the last couple of years since the reopening is there's an energy shortage. There's going to be an oil shortage. There's a cash shortage. There's shortage. Short. In fact, we hear nothing but the word shortage. And then China, hey, we're going to finally, uh, after maybe avoiding a, a revolution here, we have decided to kind of step back on our policies. We're going to reopen. And boy, China uses a ton of oil. But there's problems over there in their producer prices that we were talking about earlier that are telling us that even something's wrong there. So if China can't be the driver of higher oil prices, the people opened up your eyes and look because it's telling us something really serious is wrong in the global economy. If the oil curve is in contango, again, that means that the oil is the market has a powerful incentive to push more oil into storage when we're not supposed. All we've heard, as you said, Steve, all we heard about is there isn't enough oil. And that's actually true. This is not some kind of myth or rumor. That's It's in all the data. We look at the, the inventory data from the EIA or overseas, production numbers, production remains restricted, not just in OPEC, but domestically. Everything should be aligned for deep backwardation in the WTI curve, as well as prices moving higher. Yet the curve is doing something Exactly the opposite in both prices are falling as well as contango. And you mentioned China. China actually reported higher imports of oil, but maybe they weren't as high as maybe some people were hoping for, you know, the real reopening bounce. So the Chinese are reopening, but maybe that's not as powerful as people expected. But outside of China, we look around the rest of the world, the oil market is looking, WTI in particular, is looking at the U.S. economy as well as the liquidity in the marketplace, because those are the other factors driving any futures curve is supply, demand, and money. And something is really bothering the uh, WTI market to the point that it ignored the Keystone Pipeline being shut down for what may be a couple of weeks, which is 
another supply interruption. We've got that stuff going on geopolitics in Europe. So as you know, the reason we've been focusing on the oil market is because this is a really powerful signal telling you something is going on, but it's not just that. There's all sorts of other data as well as other market indications that are consistent with what the WTI curve is saying. It's just that the WTI curve is saying it a little bit more forcefully, as well as, as Steve was saying, there's a little bit of a forward, not a little bit, there's a lot of a forward-looking indicator in that uh, fundamental change in the curve. So, Jeff, I want to talk about what's going on in China, because we talked about before the show, producer prices that are doing something that may actually give us a very strong, again, we, you know, we want to just say very strong indicator of something bad that's coming. And what I want to, what was notable in the producer prices. So, you know, a lot of people look at U.S. producer prices and try to correlate it to U.S. consumer prices. If you really want to get it right, because again, the U.S. is a major importing nation, largest in the world. You want to go look at the producer prices of the largest exporting nation in the world. So because that's where a lot of products, I mean, simple, go to the store and look how many of them are made in China. So you look at what's going on in the China producer prices, and that gives you an indication of what's coming for U.S. consumer prices. But Jeff, why don't you tell our audience what's going on with China producer prices? And is this something we should even care about? Yeah, there is a dependable correlation, useful correlation, a predictable correlation between Chinese producer prices and the, the direction of the entire global economy. Now, it's not always one-to-one. It's not always exact, but you can pretty much bet if producer prices are accelerating in China, the global economy is probably experiencing an upturn. In fact, it's not probably. It almost certainly would be. As Steve just pointed out, China makes most of the stuff in the world, or a good chunk of what goes around, what, what gets traded around the world. So for the, at the very least, China producer prices tell us a forward-looking indication of global trade, likely because of the global direction of the economy. And ever since last year, China's producer prices have been decelerating. And over the last couple of months, China's PPI specifically has actually contracted. It's lower on a year-over-year basis for the first time in this cycle. Uh, the two, China PPI in November was minus 1.3% year-over-year, which is the second straight month. And as Steve was hinting at, the real key here is that also factory gate prices, which are a subset of the China PPI, telling us about stuff that's going on specifically, obviously, with Chinese factories. Uh, the factory gate prices fell 0.6% year over year, which was the first decline there. And you put those two things together, when China's PPI turns negative on an annual basis, along with China's factory gate price index, that that's a pretty compelling recessionary signal because the last two times that happened, the first time was April of 2012. We know what happened after that. There was a recession in Europe, a very a sharp slowdown in the United States that led Ben Bernanke to do two more QEs, as well as uh, economic problems around the rest of the world. And then the second time, the most recent time, July of 2019, the last time you went through this stuff with recession fears, yield curve inversion, Maybe there would have been a recession in the U.S., but we'll never know because of COVID. So every time we see China producer prices and factory gate prices go down at the same time, usually within a short period of time thereafter, all sorts of economic problems. Yeah, and then feeding into that, because again, this isn't just a, a crude oil, exclusive WTI. It's not just, hey, oil leads to lower input prices. There's some of the factors here. Jeff, and I know you saw this this week that global trade volumes collapsing, 
global freight rates. Again, this is what you know people pay to put containers on ships and send them overseas. I mean, they're just outright in free fall. We're seeing blanked or canceled sailing start to rise. We're seeing shipping companies say, hey, we got a problem. We have too many ships. We got some new ones coming because we thought we need a whole bunch of them. And we got all these old ones. We, what are we going to do? And so what I think we're seeing here is China's giving us a leading indicator that this is the beginning, not the end. And that's what really scares me here, Jeff, is that there's a whole lot more lower prices to come. If I make the case here, I think we can see deflation on the horizon. Yeah, one final point, especially with China, I think maybe the most important data of the week was China's imports and exports, specifically exports, which were down almost 10% year over year. I think it was 8.7%, whatever, whatever it was, sharply lower because there's price changes to the positive side in that. But the biggest one was exports from China to the United States down 25% year over year. In fact, exports to the U.S. by volume were lower in November of 2022 than they had been in November of 2018. So it wasn't just base effects here. That is telling us something powerful, right, Steve? Last last word here. I mean, as you're saying, there's, there's a lot going on. China is telling us forward-looking exports, WTI, producer price, all of this stuff. The Fed meets this week. What are we looking at here? Yeah, it comes back to supply and demand. If China's not exporting, that means either there's a demand problem in the U.S. in terms of it's dropped off so much, or as you've talked about, I think till you're blue in the face about inventory levels for so long, the inventories are too high. Even if demand was up, we can't eat through it. Where does this tell me? I think the Fed makes a huge mistake. I think they hike. I'm going to have to stick. The market's at 50. Powell never disappoints. I got a hunch he gets dovish a bit and starts laddering out that we're going to continue. But if 25 basis points, I don't think he does it after this. I think this is finally the last one, Jeff. All right. We'll see, Steve. Thanks as always. We'll talk again next week. All right. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Take care.